Welcome to the Crossview Church Message of the Week. We hope you enjoy the message this morning. For more information, visit us at mycrossview.com. Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Crossview. I'm so glad you could be here with us this morning. You know, this morning we're going to continue in our I Am series where we look closely at the, the radical claims of Jesus. Today we're going to uh, take a look at Jesus's claim that I am the good shepherd. You know, I tried my hand at shepherding once, literal shepherding, taking care of actual sheep. And by that, I mean that, uh, that I worked one summer at a petting zoo that had sheep. I was 15 years old, it was my first job. And, and what I remember most vividly about this job is that everything smelled awful, just terrible. Mostly what I did that summer was uh, haul feed and uh, clean up really unpleasant things and make snow cones. But sometimes when larger groups like school field trips came through, I would get to help uh, handle some of the animals, lead some of the tours. And I remember one afternoon when we had a field trip group come through there, it must have been a, a daycare or some such, and we took the kids through the livestock area where they got to feed the cows and guess how much the pig weighed and learn how to card wool, things like that. And then they moved on to see if they could get the llama to spit on their teacher, their favorite. Well, my boss led the way and I followed along uh, behind the group to make sure that each child left the sheep pen and then to close the gate behind us. And so that's what I did. I ushered the kids out, I closed the gate uh, and moved on to the llamas. But while the gate did close, it apparently did not latch, which I learned in just a few minutes when a gaggle of four and five-year-olds started yelling, sheep, sheep. And I turned around to see this flock of sheep streaming out of the gate. Did you know that when you stand in front of a stampeding flock of sheep and yell, stop, that they don't stop? They don't. That was what I learned that day, and that was the day that I decided that shepherding actual sheep was not the job for me. Well, before we dive into Jesus's claim that he is the good shepherd, let's take a look at what led up to this statement. Jesus was in Jerusalem. Uh, it was probably getting close to the time of the Feast of Dedication, which is still celebrated today. We know it better as Hanukkah. This was a time when the Jewish people celebrated the cleansing of the temple, the rededication of the temple as a place of holiness after it had been desecrated. And so it's reasonable to think that the people, particularly the religious leaders, might have had the purity of the temple on their minds. And in that setting, we encounter the story of the blind man. Now this man, uh, has been, had been blind since birth and he was known in the community because he would frequently sit in public and beg. Well, one day Jesus and his disciples were walking along and they encountered this man. And the disciples wanted to know why he was blind. Was it because he himself had sinned or was it because his parents had sinned? In their understanding, it had to be one or the other. Well, Jesus said no. He didn't sin, his parents didn't sin, and also, you're missing the point. The point is that the works of God will be displayed in this man. And then the Bible tells us in John 9, verse 6, 
After he said this, he spit on the ground, made mud with the saliva, and smeared the mud on the man's eyes. Then Jesus said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went away and washed, and when he returned, he could see. Then this man went on his way, and some of the neighbors saw him and recognized him. So they asked him what had happened, how it was that he could now see, and he told them his story. He said, The man they called Jesus made mud, smeared it on my eyes, and said, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. Well, this probably seemed pretty implausible to them. So the neighbors took the man to the religious authorities, to the Pharisees. And they basically said to the Pharisees, you've got to see this guy. What do you make of this? Well, the Pharisees asked the man again, what had happened? How is it that you were blind and now you can see? And he repeated his story. Well, this man they called Jesus, he put mud on my eyes, I washed, and now I see. Now, an important thing to note here is that the day on which this man was healed, when Jesus healed him and restored his sight, this was a Sabbath day. So when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had healed the man, they were not happy because healing on the Sabbath was forbidden. And Pharisees, if you recall, were professional rule keepers. They also didn't like the idea that Jesus might actually be able to perform miracles. And so they tried to find an explanation for this healing that seemed more satisfactory to them. They went and questioned the man's parents. Are you sure this is your son? Your son who was blind? Are you sure he was blind? Was he always blind? And the man's parents said, yep, this is our son. He is ours. Yep, he was born blind. Born blind. We don't know why he can see now. Go ask him yourself. So then the Pharisees turned and they interrogated this healed man. They asked him so many questions and they tried to trip him up so many times that he finally just snapped at them. And he said, listen, this man healed me. The only way he could have done so is if he was from God. Well, that just ticked the Pharisees off and they responded, you were born in sin. How dare you try to teach us anything. And then they expelled him. He was no longer welcome in the synagogue. He was excluded from worship. He was excluded from fellowship. Because remember, the, the purity of the temple was probably on their minds, the Pharisees' minds, during uh, leading up to this Feast of Dedication. They didn't want anything sinful marring their place of worship. And in their understanding, this man was sinful. Well, Jesus heard that the man he had healed had been expelled, kicked out of the religious community. And when he heard this, Jesus went and found the man. He intentionally sought him out. Listen to this tender exchange that occurred when Jesus found the healed man. This is in John chapter 9, verses 35 through 38. Jesus heard that they had expelled the man born blind. Finding him, Jesus said, do you believe in the human one? He answered, who is he, sir? I want to believe in him. Jesus said, you have seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. The man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped Jesus. 
So here was this man healed by Jesus, disbelieved by his community, and rejected by his religious leaders. And Jesus purposefully went looking for him, found him, and gave him full access, full freedom to worship, to look directly at Jesus and worship. Now, some of the Pharisees took all of this in, this healing and the compassion in the man's testimony, and they knew something was up. This was not normal. Now, as they understood the law, which was, remember, their specialty, it was impossible for a sinner to perform miracles. And yet, here was Jesus performing miracles. What was going on? So these curious Pharisees kind of hung around, and and Jesus, always the rabbi, took the opportunity to teach them, and he started to talk about shepherding. Now, to our modern ears, shepherding uh, may seem to be a a bit of a non-sequitur after the debates on blindness and sin and Sabbath-keeping. We might expect Jesus to, uh, to move into a parable about darkness and light or blindness and sight or something along those lines. But Jesus talked about shepherding and his audience, the Pharisees, would have understood his words in a very specific way. Look with me at John chapter 10 in verses 14 and 15. These are the words of Jesus. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and they know me just as the father knows me and I know the father. I give up my life for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. Now in the ancient Near Eastern cultures and throughout the Old Testament, shepherd was used not only to describe the the common occupation of caring for sheep, but was also used to describe the, the royal caretakers of the people. This was a common metaphor in these cultures. In Jewish culture, shepherd was a metaphor for the religious and civic leaders who were responsible for the well-being of the people. These were the kings, the priests, and in Jesus's day, also the Pharisees. Throughout the story of God's people, God gave responsibility for his people to these shepherds. He called them to to care for his people in selfless ways, to lead for the good of the people, not for their own self-interest, to bring peace and justice and truth. And there were certainly times when faithful shepherds did just that. But there were also times when they didn't. And God called them out when that happened. In the book of Ezekiel, chapter 34, God addresses Israel's shepherds who have abused their responsibilities. Now, Ezekiel was a prophet living in the time of the Jewish exile in Babylon. This is 600 years before Jesus. And these words were given to him by God, addressed to the the shepherds, the leaders of Israel. And again, this included the royal line, uh, the religious leaders like the priests, and the civic leaders all were given responsibility to shepherd the people of God. And this is what God said to them through the prophet Ezekiel in Ezekiel chapter 34. The Lord's word came to me, human one, prophesy against Israel's shepherds. Prophesy and say to them, the Lord proclaims to the shepherds, doom to Israel's shepherds who tended themselves Shouldn't shepherds tend the flock? 
You drink the milk, you wear the wool, you slaughter the fat animals, but you don't tend the flock. You don't strengthen the weak, heal the sick, bind up the injured, bring back the strays or seek out the lost, but instead you use force to rule them with injustice. And then a little later in the same chapter, so shepherds hear the Lord's word. The Lord God proclaims, I'm against the shepherds. I will hold them accountable for my flock and I will put an end to their tending the flock. The shepherds will no longer tend them because I will rescue my flock from their mouths and they will no longer be their food. The Lord God proclaims, I myself will search for my flock and seek them out. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered during the time of clouds and thick darkness. I will gather and lead them out from, out from the countries and the peoples, and I will bring them to their own fertile land. I will feed them on Israel's inhabited places. I will feed them in good pasture, and their sheepfold will be there on Israel's lofty highlands. On Israel's highlands, they will lie down in a secure fold and feed on green pastures. I myself will feed my flock and make them lie down. This is what the Lord God says. I will seek out the lost, bring back the strays, bind up the wounded, and strengthen the weak. But the fat and the strong I will destroy, because I will tend my sheep with justice. That was Ezekiel 34. So God here denounces the bad shepherds and he says, I myself will be the shepherd of my people. He says to the corrupt shepherds, you didn't strengthen the weak. You didn't heal the sick. You didn't bind up the injured. You didn't bring back the strays. You didn't seek out the lost. You ruled with injustice. But then he goes on to say, but I will do each of those things. And then he says this, I will rescue my flock. I will appoint for them a single shepherd and he will feed them. My servant David will feed them. He will be their shepherd. So God has said three things here in this passage. First, the shepherds of Israel have failed in their most basic responsibility of caring for the people. Second, God himself is the good shepherd of his people. And third, God will appoint a single shepherd from the line of David to feed his people, a Messiah. He will appoint a Messiah. He calls out the bad shepherds. He identifies himself as the good shepherd and he promises to send a Messiah, the only shepherd that Israel will ever need. Now fast forward 600 years and we enter the story of Jesus healing the blind man and addressing the Pharisees. Remember what he said to them, I am the good shepherd. Now the Pharisees knew this prophecy from Ezekiel. They would have known it very well. It was a significant part of their scripture from a significant time in their history. And they were uh, among the shepherds of the time. They were uh, religious leaders, elite, influential 
in Jewish society. And here's Jesus, who in, in other verses in this same passage in John chapter 10, talks about bad shepherds, talks about hired hands who don't actually care about the sheep at all. And then he says, but I am the good shepherd. This was an audacious and a radical claim. The trained minds of the Pharisees would have undoubtedly recalled the words of Ezekiel, and they would have recognized the significance of Jesus's claim. By saying, I am the good shepherd, Jesus was also saying, I am the one who was prophesied. I am the one from the line of David. I am that single shepherd of my people. I am the promised Messiah. Wow. So once again, as we've seen throughout this I Am series, Jesus' listeners would have made an immediate and clear connection between their scriptures, what we know as, as the, know of as the Old Testament, and the teachings of Jesus. Now we may read these I Am statements as descriptions of Jesus' character, of his nature, and they are certainly that. But the Jewish people who heard his words would have heard much, much more than that. They would, have, they would have heard Jesus connecting himself to their history and to their prophets and to their covenants with God, to their royal lines, to their priestly lines. They would have recognized in ways that, that the Roman rulers, the Roman leaders of the day wouldn't have, that Jesus was identifying himself as God and as the long-awaited Messiah. And then what does Jesus say after telling the Pharisees, that he is the good shepherd. Let's look back again uh, at verse 14 and 15. He says, I know my sheep and they know me just as the father knows me and I know the father. Now in the Hebrew language and in Jewish culture to know was to experience, to enter into relationship with. To know didn't refer just to uh, an intellectual understanding or just to information or a list of facts. It referred to an intimacy, a relationship. So when Jesus said that he knows his sheep and his sheep know him as the Father knows him, he is speaking of intimate, personal relationship. And his listeners would have understood him in this way. I love how Jesus uses invitational language like this. He's always inviting people into relationship with him and through that relationship into new life and into freedom. It's astounding to think that we can know Jesus and be known by him in the same kind of personal close way that he and God the Father know each other. Do you have a relationship in your life like this? Do you have someone who knows you so well and whom you know so well that maybe you can finish each other's sentences? You just know what the other person is thinking. You can trust each other with anything where you can just be your real self around each other. Maybe this is a friend or a spouse or a sibling. Maybe you don't have that kind of relationship and you long for it. We were made for relationship. Maybe you feel like, Nobody knows the real you, and you don't have a trusting or personal relationship with anyone. 
wherever you are in relationship to others, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and they know me. He invites us into that relationship where we are known and loved and cared for and fed, sheltered and defended. That relationship where our shepherd willingly gave up his own life so that we could live. Jesus's love is perfect. And the thing about perfect love is that it has no use for barriers or defensive boundaries. Jesus can be our king and our brother. He can be our Lord and our comforter, our shepherd and our friend. He is not a detached leader. We don't have to jump through hoops to get his attention. There's no abuse of power or pride of position in him. Those things belong to those who have something to prove. But Jesus is gentle and humble in heart. He invites us to follow him as sheep follow their shepherd, knowing that he is trustworthy, knowing that he will lay down his own life for us, knowing that he cares for us and knows each one of us by name. He is our good shepherd. As we close, I want to share with you the psalmist's description of life with the good shepherd. Now, I'm going to read this psalm slowly. And as I do, I invite you to just take a few moments to close your eyes, slow your breath, and make this your prayer. Inhaling with one phrase, exhaling with the next phrase. This is a way of prayer that Christians have practiced since, uh, since early centuries. Uh, and it's a way to engage both our bodies and our spirits in worship. Take these words into your heart as you breathe and just sit for a few moments in the quiet and the peace of the presence of God. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life. And I will live in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Let's continue to worship together.